0: You are listening to Beyond the Dress Size Podcast with Dr. Ezine Miribe. Now on today's episode, I have Obi with me and Obi is sharing her story with us on dealing with an eating disorder and her path to recovery. Now I find that as Nigerians and Africans and maybe in black communities, we tend to think that eating these others not common, and so we relegate things that pertain to our mental health to the background. Unfortunately, the truth is, if we just put the focus on the dress size and weight loss, no amount of meal planning will eliminate inability to thrive. You know, no amount of meal planning will take care of our inability to thrive if we do not take care of the mind first and take care of mental well-being so if this is your first time listening to be on the justice podcast and you're wondering why are they even talking about mental well-being on a nutrition and fitness podcast hey girl this is not your average fitness and nutrition podcast on this podcast We continue to promote health for everyone in every dress size. And we continue to shed light on all facets of health. Because the truth is, health is not a dress size. It's not a number on the scale. And it's not about, you know, being that body image that the media says everyone is expected to look like. Trust me, I'm sure you will enjoy this episode and even go on to share with everyone that you know. So, to everyone who has shared, thank you so much for sharing this episode. No, thank you so much for sharing every single episode of our podcast. Thank you for inviting your friends. Thank you for the messages that you keep sending to me. Thank you for leaving your reviews. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for downloading. Trust me, I truly appreciate your support. And your support is the oil that the engine of this podcast runs on. So thank you. Keep that love coming. I appreciate all of you. Obi Bamidele is a mindset coach, registered therapist in private practice. She's also a writer and speaker as well as a Christian wife, mom, and youth leader. What's her thing? helping people break out of their rut of conformist beliefs and inauthentic living so they can find their unique purpose, live freely and happily. She's big on sharing her story and encourages women to own and embrace theirs, words and all, to find peace, healing and courage, to be unapologetically you. She has authored two books, Finding Purpose and Me, My Hair and the Rest. You can purchase her books on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. Now let's get into the episode. Hi, Obi. Welcome to Beyond the Dress Size Podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here. Okay, so I noticed that in your introduction, you said what's and all. Why did you use the word what's and all or the phrase?
1: I use what's and all because my feeling is that we tend to, when we share our stories, we like to share only the good bits, you know, the, the bits that seem perfect about us or that we feel Will people will accept? So anything that kind of sheds a light on our flaws, on our weaknesses, or, or makes us seem not so perfect, we're more prone to hide. And yeah, so that's for me. It's important to share the good and the bad. I think that I really believe, for me personally, anyway, that yeah as someone who I think the more I've reached self acceptance, I'm okay with sharing um, my good and also my bad because people learn not just from the good, but if if anything, sometimes you build connection more when you're able to share your 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 pain or share your difficult experiences because then people there's something about it builds connection because then people think you know I, one people realize they're not the only ones going through there's always something especially in the in the in the world we live in now particularly with, with the likes of social media where sometimes you know you can go online and think everybody everybody's life is better than yours or people have the perfect marriage the perfect kids the perfect job the perfect body you know and I think we just sometimes need to be real. I'm big on being real if there's one thing that is that i that I am is real, so yeah, I've learned to to share both. yeah, yes, yeah, so that's why I
0: yeah, me. but you know the thing the thing about not trying to paint only the perfect picture is I personally think that that is damaging in the long run. Because you begin to crumble under this idea of perfection that you have mm-hmm. built. And you can't even live in it. Yes, I completely agree. As you say, the struggle is real. Yeah, it is real.
1: And I agree. And I think sometimes when you build up that, um, I don't know, persona or you build up this idea or- that you know your life is perfect
0: or you must you yeah. must show your perfect life
1: yeah it becomes so difficult to come to to, to, to show it any other side for me now even as a as therapist some people sometimes people imagine that because you know, i'm a because i i'm a counselor so that means well i've got it all together and i'm so even with my clients i'm like you know i don't hide behind all oh, your expert your expert opinion because sometimes people want to label you as oh well because you know about counseling and you have you've been you've trained so that means that you're an expert and i'm and i always say you know i'm not the expert on you you're the expert on yourself so yeah so yeah i think it's important to for me it's big it's very important for for me to be real and the more real you are the more you're able to help other people
0: yeah and then you said because you had um you had your own journey to self acceptance now how do how does one approach self acceptance because not accepting yourself and Waking up every day hoping that you would be something else, you know, not realizing that whether you are flawed, whether you are broken, it's just what makes you you, right?
1: Yeah, the word self-acceptance is a very interesting word. I think for me, for a long time, I didn't understand when I was in in my own journey, I didn't understand self-acceptance. And I think many people uh, feel the same. Sometimes people confuse self-acceptance with um, the idea that if well, if I accept myself as I am, and by the fact that I haven't changed, then that means that I'm condoning my issues. Also, if I, if I reach self-acceptance and I'm, say for example, how can I accept myself when I'm still three stone or five stone Overweight, or how can I accept myself when I haven't? I'm still dealing with an eating disorder or an addiction or some or whatever. So people in their head think if I accept if I accept this part of me, this me, then it means that I'm not going to change. So so people confuse self acceptance with condoning behavior, undesirable behavior, and that's not what self acceptance is. Self acceptance is not is basically you loving yourself despite loving yourself through your issues. So it's that whole thing of unconditional love you know knowing that because I think that a lot of the times we want we're very conditional we love ourselves conditional conditionally just as we love other people so it's more have I been good yeah so when i I will love me when I've been good, I will love me and accept me when I have achieved such and such, when I'm at my I'm at my target weight, when I've got gotten rid of all my habits and behaviors that I don't like, when I've done this, when I've done that, when I've found when I'm married, when I've you know we set all these targets and it's very performance driven. and that's not that's not self that's conditional you loving yourself on condition, giving yourself condition. So for me, that self-accept for me I had to reach a place where I could really, love myself and accept myself and really look at myself in the mirror and say you know you're you're okay you're good and you're enough despite the fact that you yeah, I'm still a work in progress you know I'm a work in progress but you know I am good I'm a work in progress and I love me as a work in progress I love me and I accept who I am I want to change and actually in in counseling the the the, the whole especially the particular type of counseling that I I do, it's it's self-acceptance is the catalyst for change is self-acceptance. When you love yourself, then change can take place, not the other way around. I think a lot of times I have to say, particularly in our culture, we are brought up with very, um, a lot of conditional, what we call conditional parenting. So it's, I love, when you are good, I accept you. When you are good, when you do the good, the good things. When you do, it, when you act right, when you behave well, when you perform well, that's when you get praised. So self-acceptance is say is is the other way round. Is saying no. Where I am at now, I love me and. Actually, that is what will be the catalyst for change. You can't change until you accept yourself. Otherwise, it will be short-lived. You know, you can you can lose weight or you can kick a habit, you know, and it could be short-lived. But if you don't really love yourself, you'll find that you it's it's that self-loathing or lack of of self-love is what will drive you back to um, destructive self um, a behavioral patterns. So until you love yourself and accept yourself, that's how you, you you love yourself out of of these issues. But people struggle with that because people think I can't. How can I accept myself when I'm not when I'm not good enough? Or how can I accept myself when I haven't done? I haven't stopped these undesirable undesirable behaviors. So yeah, that's why I'm a big advocate for self acceptance and really helping people to understand what it means. It doesn't mean I condone the, these destructive behaviors because you are not the destructive behaviors. You are not that. You are a human being who is worthy of love. You are a human being who is created by God and who God loves unconditionally. And but you're someone who has difficult issues or you're someone who's dealing with issues. But that, those issues do not define who you are. So, yeah, so that's what I mean by self-acceptance.
0: You know, it's funny you said all this because I remember speaking at an event once and I was talking about how it doesn't make sense. It is actually counterintuitive to hate your body. You know, a lot of people think that by hating my body, I'm going to eventually change this body. And So everything we do, we do it against the body. We do it to the body and not for the body. Yeah. So we're doing it to the body. So I need to hit this body. I definitely, I surely need to hit this body. I need to subject it. I need to punish it. I need to do everything cruel to it, so it to understand that I need it to go away. Unfortunately, it doesn't work. And then people were like, "But I need to hit." It was hard yeah. to communicate that. So maybe you can help me do this. Yeah, I need to hit myself. If I keep liking myself, me and my bigger size will just be here. The, this big body will not go away from me. So how do I embrace love and show kindness to my body and I'll still be able to lose weight?
1: Yes. And it comes down, again, it comes back down to how we are raised. It's Again, it's kind of that thing of, you know, like when we're growing up a where sometimes parents, some, again, I have to say typical, if we come from a, like a typical Nigerian home, where not just Nigerians, but a lot of some parents kind of have this idea that if I, if I, praise my child and if you know i'm in for good if you know for for, if i praise them all the time or if i praise if i we use criticism as a way of of help, thinking that if that's what we will use to bring about pain mm. and not praise, we always think that if you praise a child too much, they will they you spoil them and they won't do it. Criticism,
0: yes, it's it's to the, get into their head.
1: Yeah. So, but criticism and is, is the way that you 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 train a child, and what actually does is shame. It brings a lot of shame. So it's this, and we take that in in counseling. It, it, that's what, what the work I do is trying to understand the person's. Their, 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 the way they've been parented because the way you've been parented is the way you parent yourself is the way you see yourself so if you've never understood- and you never
0: understand and and it is the inner critic that you hear all the time exactly exactly
1: your inner if your inner critic is you know one that's been that is either guarding you or putting you down or shaming you 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 will do the same thing to yourself mm. so people don't get people people don't think no I should there's this fear and that's what that's what drives this. there's a fear that if I love me now or if I love my child fully 100% and you know and just let them there's a fear that oh they won't change that this behavior that I want to get rid of how how will it change not realizing that when you're being self-destructive you cannot it's you how can you how can you love yourself if you how can you hate yourself and expect yourself to change How can you, how can you beat yourself down to a pulp and expect that, you know, okay, I will still find the inner resources that I
0: need. It makes no sense. Now, the question I have is, how do you dissociate who you're supposed to be from how you were parented? Is that who you're supposed to be? Is it the right question? But I'm sure you understand. Yeah. So how do you separate who you are
1: supposed to be Mm -hmm. from who, how you're parented? Yes. The question is kind of, it's it's who your your true, your true self. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Who
0: you would really love to be, that person that you're hiding yeah. inside you, but you keep hearing, yeah. or oh, that's not what you're supposed to be doing, or oh, that's not how you're supposed to be. Again, it comes down, to, one, it's
1: self-awareness. Mm. So due to, because the true people, sometimes people don't even know who that person is because they've been, in a sense, we've kind of been programmed, you know, or com- taught to conform to what I call, I should, you know, I should, I should be look like this i should sound like this i should be like this i should mm. live like this So all those sort of mindsets and and, it, and in counseling I, one of the things that um we you sort of teach my clients is that you we form scripts very early on from a very young age the way we see the world is that and how we see uh, how we see the world is that's that those scripts that we have about ourselves about who we are, are formed very early on Mm. from, you know, around the age of four or five. So, and, and as we go on in life, those scripts, we try, time and time again, we try to keep within those scripts. And it's only until you reach self-awareness that you... Start to recognize. Actually, is this is this who we really who I am? And mm. is, and then you start to break out of it. For a lot of people, we where we we can go on with life, to still conforming and just focusing on our shoes. And our shoes. I should I should be like this. This is how the world, or society, my family, or you know, my culture, my trad- or tradition. This is how they, they they decided I should be. And then and what can then happen is at some point something happens. Sometimes it could be you go through a very difficult patch in life. Say or you go through something trying or you just find that, you know, I'm not really happy. Something what what satisfied me for, you know, for a while, all of a sudden I realised there has to be more. Mm. That's when, and that's when people find themselves in counseling. Is this it? There's, there has to be more. Because one, the more that you focus on trying, when you're the more focused you are on, on being who you think you should be, yeah. you you miss out a lot of, um, it takes the fun out of life. It takes the... Mm the funner of really enjoying your uniqueness, enjoying the fact that you are an individual with, with with as opposed to a clone, or the fact that you are supposed to be set apart. You're supposed to be, you're very, very different to the next person. And we spend a lot of our lives trying to be like everybody else or trying to to fit in, and then one day you well for me, I reached a place. Particularly, I find people tend to start to ask those questions in yeah, maybe in your twenties. Particularly if you've you know you've gone to university, you've done all these things, and you're thinking, hang on, okay, is this is this it? Mm. Is this my life? And then the prospect of living your life like that for the next 40 years 50 60 years just seems so daunting and then people start to ask questions and then they become very conflicted and it's difficult because if you don't have if you come from a a family background where you are that is so frowned upon that if anything you're trying you they they try to push you to to fix you into this mold Mm. it can be quite difficult so it it sometimes take it takes courage and that's why people come to counseling because then you your counselor can be your champion will be your 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 encourager the person that will say to you you know you're okay on this journey of discovering yourself and then people find that you know things that they thought they liked they realize they could they they, they start to question why do I like this why am I like this or you know and um, why can't I ask questions because sometimes people are afraid to ask mm.
0: questions.
1: They find that maybe they start to ask the questions, the answers they will get. We'll might open up sh- a can
0: of worms. I'm
1: telling you, that's exactly it. And and, I, and that's what people tell me. People sometimes are scared because they're like, I feel like if I start this process, I'm going to be opening up a can of worms. They're not going to get me. And sometimes you could be married. You The, the person, the who you think you should be is who you you married as, who you should be. Mm. You know? And so that's who he knows. And then there's this thing of, okay, how, if I start to change if people accept me people think you know, will I, you know because what will happen is your your friends may change your circle may change a lot of things could change your some people find the more they self actualize your career may, may change <laughs> your decisions may you know you know where you live it, it, it could change your whole life because you realize that the decisions that you made up to a certain point where you know to we're not necessary sometimes we're not your decisions we're not the we're not made from your true self so it's a scary process but we'll say one that really is worth is worth taking because it it wants you you will get to the other side and with the right support it, it can change your life and then you can find your real calling your real purpose the reason why you're on this earth so yeah difficult but worth doing
0: So while you were talking about the people accepting themselves, you know, what happens is at that point, when we haven't reached the point of self-actualization, we tend to tolerate a lot and we don't Mm -hmm. give ourselves permission. So most of the people that we have around us, when you are saying your career may change, your friends may change. Most of the people around us at that time, most of the possessions that we have as well are not necessarily Mm -hmm. things that give us joy and fulfillment. They are things that we're just tolerating. Yeah, so I find that when people are even, you know, you've lost weight, you've changed your life, especially when you, what I call a holistic, a holistic weight loss journey, you find that mm. hmm, a tendency to look inwards actually helps, right? So I want you to tell mm-hmm. us about your own journey to self-acceptance and actually what brought you into counselling. So
1: what brought me to counselling, in, in, you know, was the fact that I, I, I was struggling with an eating disorder and bulimia, and mm-hmm. um, I was, I was, and. For those, for people who don't know um, what bulimia is, it's where you binge, you know, and and then make yourself vomit mm. uh, and throw up. And that was something that I struggled with for from the age of sixteen. Mm. So my story is that I moved to the to the UK at the age of fifteen. So I was I I was born in Nigeria mm. and I lived in Nigeria until I was fifteen, and then I moved um here. And without going into the whole long. Long story of you know like my whole family dynamics and everything. I I, I came to the UK with a lot of emotional baggage, mm. you know. In, in the sense, the part of the reason why I ended up here at the time at, at the time that I did was was because a lot of things had happened in Nigeria and. My parents had reached a, a place where, in the, they'd reached a state where they they were at their wits end and felt that you know I needed to come and be with my older my older siblings. At the age of fourteen, my my parents had discovered that I was basically sexually active, and, and that was just that was like the what word am I looking for? I guess I was to some extent branded like the black sheep of mm. my family, and it was you know. We just need. We can't deal with her anymore. So let's just bring her here. So, so for them, said, sending
0: that, you to the UK was a way from for them to dissociate themselves at that time. Well, I
1: think they. I mean, I was I was a teenager. I didn't have. I was. I mean, I'm I'm one of six, and mm. at the time, four of my my four of the siblings before me were all here in the UK. Yeah, so I think didn't know how to manage or handle me mm. or my behavior didn't know they were I think they just felt that you know she's maybe she's beyond help and she mean you guys need to as in my old, all the older siblings might be the help that I needed and also I guess also there's also the shame of it as well and, yes. and also don't get me wrong don't get me wrong. My parents also wanted me to come to the UK because at the time they wanted me to finish school here and, and go to university here and everything. But I think that it, it just quickens the decision and it was like, okay, yeah, she's coming over. So that, that was the backdrop of, of my, me coming was was this thing that had happened in Nigeria. Mm. And as I said, so I came with a lot of shame and then added to that, I started I started secondary school here. Mm. We'd known, didn't know, have any friends, well, didn't know anyone in school, had to make new friends and, and then... A very sort of lonely existence in the sense that I was I would go to school then I would come home and I'd be on my own for most of the time because my 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 brother and my sister were at uni and somehow I started you no know, taking to account that I hadn't dealt with the, with any of the stuff that had happened and I was just dealing with I was carrying a lot of shame I started to eat a lot so I went from within within say nine months. I was a size twelve. Within a space of nine months, I had gone from from size twelve to a size sixteen. Yeah, and at this stage, I was six, sixteen years old. And as you can imagine, when size sixteen is not not necessarily, you know, you're not. It's not grossly or overweight or anything like that but for me it, it, at the time because I was so young I was carrying I felt at the time I was carrying it in a very I was it was very baby kind of like you know like a baby fat so I was very top heavy and yeah. my face was baby. I put on a lot of weight on my face I and I didn't like my my weight but what made it even worse was the comments that I would get like oh, I put on a lot of weight or you know and in my family the women in my family have weight Weight issues and, and there was something that my mum was just I think to her it was like, I had never of her do have I never heard of her daughters with weight issues so she wasn't very she wasn't of course not very approving of it and the comments I would get from people and the fact that I looked in the mirror and I and I and I didn't like myself so one day. I think I'd been through, I tried all types of diets. I was, as I said, I was only 16. I didn't know much about anything about dieting or exercising. And no one ever said to me, why don't you try running or exercising? So I would, sometimes I would starve myself and then I would go through a whole cycle of just eating, eating, because I was so hungry. I remember once going to the kitchen, to my, to the kitchen after starving myself for like for, for, for days and going to the kitchen and finding a pot of rice in the kitchen. And literally, I think I ate the whole pot <laughs> just how of hunger. I was So one day I was watching the story about Princess Diana and I, I don't know if you know, but she, she was someone who struggled with, um, she had an, she had, she struggled with bulimia and the film that I was watching as, you know, showed her, you know, binge and then, and throw up. Yeah. I guess that was the, op- I mean, my, it, I, something about that, there was, there was an opening there and mm. and somehow that stuck in my mind. So when, when I was struggling, still struggling to lose this weight, I then decided without, I don't I try not to go into much g- gory details, not to put, not to put people off, but I was from a very young age. Mm. I was one of those children. I was, I was, I was, I was, a, I was someone who could easily, I would, I could eat and be sick mm. as in, as I, was, I was that child who at the age of maybe three, four, I, I remember my, my, I would be told off for eating and then regurgitating my food. Not, not again, not to be disgusting. So mm. when with people who have bulimia usually would have to put something down their throat, you know, yeah. like some people toothbrushes or whatever to make them bring up the food. I didn't have that issue. I would just eat and I could throw up. And mm-hmm. I knew that I figured, well, in my head, I will, I started, I, I would eat, I would get, it would be, I'd eat till I was four and then I would just easily make myself throw up. And in my head at the, at my 16 year old head, I thought, okay, this was a good way to, for me to lose weight. And I lo- I did lose weight. I went from a size, I, I was a size 16 and then I went down to a size eight. And no my mom at the time had traveled to nigeria and she came back and within within a year of her coming back i'd lost all this weight and no one noticed i mean obviously you and then and when people did notice it was it was good it was i was like well done you're losing weight you're losing weight so i shed all this weight and feeling very proud of myself thinking well yeah once i get to my target weight yeah i will stop and then when i tried to stop i couldn't by this stage, by the time I was now doing my A levels, I was seventeen. I was literally just eating, binging around the clock, and throwing up. It was just it became a. It was just completely my day in, day out. And I know during my A levels, I was constantly. I was very. I was underweight. I was very, and my teeth were starting to get very badly affected. Obviously, because you know the acids from the food enamel of my teeth was starting to to wear down I started to get a lot of cavities in my teeth I was getting a lot of headache I was my concentration was very poor and it was still this not one soul not one person in my life knew that I was that I had this thing and I was yeah and when I tried to stop I just realized that I just it this had, it, this had become a an addiction that I could not um I could not shift, you know, so I went, I carried on to university and all of that. There was always this fear of by this stage, my stomach, as you can imagine, has shrunk because it it couldn't handle a lot of food. So it even became more of a practice of not even so much that I was, I was sometimes I was binging or sometimes I was just so full and uncomfortable. I went to uni, same thing. I was just binging. In, out, in, out, in, out to the point where it became, and when I was stressed, the more, the more stressed I was, the more I binged and a very vicious cycle. And I had no one to turn to, nobody to tell. I think at university, at uni, I I did try to join a support group and that didn't last. I didn't really get. I, that much. I didn't, well, I didn't, it didn't work for me. And yeah, it carried on well into my twenties. You know, when I'd graduated, had a job, this thing was still carrying on. And I remember once going to the church I was attending at the time and went to the past, the pastor who I was told was a counselor. And when I said, you know, look, I have this thing that I, that, you know, I've struggled with, or, you know, for, for by this stage we're talking 10 years now. And I really want to stop. She, her advice to me was just have control your portions, just eat smaller, eat smaller Portions and workout, mm. and
0: that was the extent. The Which extent I think is of, destructive for someone who has an eating disorder.
1: You know, she thought having an eating disorder was just you know you eating, eating too
0: much. much. Yeah, because for yeah. someone who has not an eating not- disorder, sometimes they go to the gym and they use it to destroy themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. The cause, or when you look, when you go, when you drill deep down to understand an eating disorder, it's it's not the food. Mm. It's it's more about it's in, it's the the person using food to numb emotional pain exactly using food to cope with very difficult emotion and for me I was using food to cope with my shame Mm. with the shame of my past Mm. obviously I wasn't even aware of that I was just thinking that you know I it was something that just happened because I watched this thing on on this program and yeah and I was I was being greedy and I didn't know how to control myself Mm. so after that that put me off for a while I still didn't tell anyone and then I think I reached the more I joined another church and one day I um I'd reached a place where I really wanted to kick this habit. I was done. I was tired of, I was tired of living, carrying this thing. And I wanted to, to kick it. Mm. I wanted to, to heal. So I spoke to the pastor of the church and, and thank God, he was a lot more understanding. That was kind of the start of my, my spiritual journey and also my counseling journey Mm. And then I started doing more research into it. I started seeing a counselor and yeah, and that's, and that was how I got to slowly my recovery started. Then it got to a place where no longer was I even, whereas before I, I'd wake up from the morning, I, from the, from waking up, I would be eating and throwing up all fruit till I went to bed. Mm. But then it, I, my recovery journey helped me to manage it more. So, you know, it was, it was, coping okay during the day then it got to at night and you find that a lot of times it's when people have struggle can struggle with addictive behaviors or it, it sometimes it's at night that it can be quite difficult so then that the more but the more I carried on with my counseling the more I started to understand the more I'd had to do a lot of work on on shame mm. you know shame um, behind some things that had happened in my life shame not not just trying even trying to go back to my teenage years and understanding even then that opened more a kind, another kind <laughs> of worm. So to try and understand, you know, the mind of a fourteen-year-old, of a yeah. you know, to understand and why, and we've not just seen myself as, but I was a bad girl and I did wrong and mm-hmm. I was bad. But actually, now then that opened up a kind of more. When I say kind of worms, it opened up. Then went back into my childhood mm. and. I had been molested as as a five-year-old. Mm. And not again, that was another secret that I had been carrying. And not not knowing that obviously that was the what was had led to you know the issues in my teen teenagers. So there was just a lot of unresolved issues in my life that um, counseling helped me to really deal with that I'd not even dealt with, I'd never spoken to anyone about. And yeah, and that was my journey. And once I I started my own journey, I just felt that I knew that this was something that I wanted to do in my life it was something that i wanted to help other people with it was something that i wanted to i wanted to study i wanted to just to, to study more for myself but also for to help others and yes yeah, so i went on and i and then i trained in counseling and psychotherapy and yeah that's how i became a counselor mm.
0: so would it be correct to say that for those years of you dealing with an eating disorder it was you seeing yourself as being bad and seeing your 5 year old self as being bad and your 14 year old self as being bad
1: Definitely. Mm. Definitely. That was one of the, one of my scripts. It was, I'm bad. I'm a bad girl. Mm. Um, I'm a bad girl for, for what happened to me as a, as as a, as a five-year-old. And the fact that I never told anyone, the fact that, you know, this person had, incidentally, was a a girl, had picked me out. I was bad you know, I must've been bad. For her to pick Um, you out. Yeah. So, and then also the fact that I blamed myself for the fact that I was a bad, I'm a bad girl for, for becoming sexually active at at, at a young age. Mm. So, so just that, I remember saying to my counselor at the time when she, she was saying, well, you were a child. And I was saying, but I was bad. Mm. <laughs> that was my response. I was bad, but I was bad. I believe that my emotional, every, obviously everybody's emotional pain is different, but that was, that was my emotional pain. A lot of self, I didn't like me. I didn't, mm. I didn't like me. I didn't think that I was, I didn't think I was lovable. I didn't think that I was, I thought I was ugly. I thought I was, yeah, not good, bad, not, you know, very impure and, and loss of, yeah, just not a good girl basically. And yeah, so I had to get to a place of really starting to love myself, starting to forgive myself, mm. starting to, yeah, just really accept me. And it, it was a, um inner child work and yeah. And that was my journey. First of all, I
0: like the fact that you mentioned that it was a girl because a lot of times I was thinking about it yesterday and I realized that a lot of times we think that it happens only with the opposite sex for every, every person mm-hmm. because, of course, boys are also abused. Yeah. yeah. I find that people think that ED, that's eating disorders, are not common in Black communities or in African communities. Is that true?
1: Yeah. Yes, that is, a, that is. In fact, that was, it is very common, but it's very hidden. Mm. and and i remember that and that was i think that was the that was in my when i did confide in my told my past my the second past that i told and i yeah. think for him he the great thing was that he was very open and honest and he was like do you know i did not even know that because it was known as the white girls white girls pop, yes um, disorder. you know white girls are the ones that you know that that have eating disorders not black girls the good thing was that he was open Uh, you know about it and he was like look i want to you know i want to i want us to to tackle this and it is seen it's not it's in our community and because it's not understood Mm. and it's it's not so that's the reason why this the first pastor could say you know just manage your portion size and, and and exercise and because it's something that is not understood people even when you do it like clients of mine that that come to me for it's very difficult to even to even when you do confide in people people don't know what to do so even when I did start talking and um, telling like um, friends or family and saying, okay, this is something that I struggle with, people don't know what to. You people, like okay, I don't know what to do with that information. So, so you yeah. tell people, and then they just kind of park, and they pocket. They, they don't, they don't, they don't, they won't ask. It will be, it becomes this thing that is sort of hanging, and that you know no one really talks about. And know people will say, oh, just again, people will say things like, oh, just you know, watch what you eat or exercise. It's it's a very, it's not understood in our in our community. And I think that yeah. it's, it's and it's a lie when people say that yeah you know it's not something that black girls struggle with I and mean, it's not even girls guys as well it's not a girl issue it's not it's not only white girls it's not only it's not one race it can happen to anyone it can happen to anyone who has unresolved emotional issues it can happen to anyone it's not an eating disorder it could be something else you know for some people it's self harming even though eating eating disorder is a form of self harm but it could be some people. Some people cut, some people do all different things to try at pain that they're going through.
0: Yeah, so two things that people struggle with in opening up to friends and family is the fact that you're either going to be shamed mm-hmm. for the situation, like, can't you control yourself? Uh, mm-hmm. What kind of human being are you? Why do you eat too much? Why you gluten? Mm-hmm. Or they look at you like, you must be really something. Are you normal? Are you okay? Mm-hmm. You know, someone was telling me yesterday that, I'm dealing with this and I'm expected to be okay. Everyone expects me to be okay. And I'm like, it's the expectation. It's not their life, Mm. you know? Mm. And so... When it comes to opening up, it's everybody's biggest struggle. How would they handle mm-hmm. my situation? Now, I find that also that a lot of people who have told me about having an eating disorder saw it on TV. Even the books I read, like fiction about, I like to read a lot of fiction about eating disorders as well. Most yeah. of them saw it on TV. So now I'm wondering, how do we deal with this? How do We, we can't say we will control what people are watching because these were mostly harmless in quotes, harmless mm-hmm. media coverage, but eventually led... A young girl to say, "Oh, this is where I can find solace," mm. even though she was dealing with something else.
1: And I think that you've just hit the nail on the head. So it's put it this way: if the the starting point is that 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 you know, like for me, I already I was overeating, I had a, a problematic relationship with food, and oh, I was okay. overeating to to numb. I was using food to numb to numb my pain, and I was stuffing mm. myself with food. So. So the eating disorder was just another manifestation of that of that pain. So if perhaps if it hadn't been an eating disorder, I would just carried on overeating and overeating, and okay. overeating. I could have done something else. It could have it could be that I could have been harming. So it's mm. where a person has unresolved difficult difficult emotions that they have not addressed and mm. that they're looking for a way to cope with that mm. mine was that i with mine it was that i was i thought i was using it to lose weight but mm. actually really yes that's kind of what i the initial uh motive but at the same time with with an eating disorder it's a way of sometimes it's a way of controlling when your life is not you everything else you're not controlling so it's a way of you think that you're you, you're able to control a certain aspect of your life or sometimes it's a way of mm. releasing it's, it can be a form of self loathing it can be a, a form of releasing pain it it means different things for different to different people but it's trying to take control of an area of your life when everything else seems you know you, you're not in control of so i believe that whilst i i understand that yes some someone could have watched it watched a program and then that it, it's not the program. It's not the, that's not the thing that drove them to the destructive behavior in a sense that that destructive
0: behavior would have come out in some way, shape or form. In I some believe. other way. Yeah. Okay. So for someone who is listening now and who is borderline thinking of how else to take control, what would you tell the person? Because there's someone somewhere listening that is struggling with overeating and doesn't know what to do next.
1: I would say seek help, reach mm. out, and seek help. And okay. um, I think a lot of times we want to solve the problems our, ourselves, you know, like, you know, because there's this thing of, you know, I can, I can... we I can do it myself. I can, I can, I can, and for me, for, in my own journey, that was my story for a very long time mm. of, you know, because it's, it's, a, there's an element of pride. There's an element of shame. There's all kinds of things, you know, and then, you know, who do you trust? But I would say, just seek help. Don't try to work this out on your own. Even if you feel that you happen have an unhealthy relationship with good. Sometimes people think, well, I should just be able to just stop. Yeah. Just to stop. And sometimes it's no, what, the food you're you're eating excessively for a reason mm. and it's important to try and understand that reason and and in my work I have to say a lot of the time it's it's it's, it's it breaks my heart to, to say it but it's become reached a place where now I actually when I meet a new client I easily recognize or know before they even start to talk what the likely issue or trauma or experiences and a lot of the time in our community it's sexual child sexual abuse that is I would say you know, it's, it's got to a place where now a stage where I'm just half waiting for it, and sometimes I can already tell. You know, mm-hmm. okay, this this is what person is this before they even say it, and mm-hmm. um, it's so 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 rampant. And then you, people will say, but I've dealt with that. That's in my past. Mm-hmm. I, I'm 38 years old, and this I and you and you. Some people I, now that what's that got to do with me overeating, or <laughs> mm-hmm. what's that got to do with me having a eating disorder? People can't can't see the link. Yeah, that it's usually not always that this it's always childhood um, trauma but you find a lot even if it's not childhood trauma then it's still if childhood trauma does not necessarily just mean sexual abuse so one of the things I do is work from early memories from birth or, or, or as much or as or as much as a person can remember about their early childhood when you start to look at a child's attachment to their parents mm. uh, or he, people who represent their parents mm. and you start to understand, you start to understand, okay, so where did they, their sense of trust come from? How were they parented? Was there a lot of, if you come from a, what we call, if you've experienced a lot of critical parenting as yes. opposed to nurturing parenting? And then you, what's interesting about critical parenting is that some people say, well, you know, my childhood was good. My parents didn't, you know, they weren't even, they didn't beat me like that. It wasn't anything. But sometimes it's not even, it's not always the that you've had beating. Sometimes it's also the lack of, of affirmation the lack of or as a child you you now learn that you're you're affirmed when you perform good yes when I'm that then you link that with I'm good when I do well yes you know and so again that drives people to very performance driven behaviors so it could also be um, high performance
0: disorder (laughs)
1: Yes. I believe that there is such a thing because because that's how you that's the way you
0: you you like yourself based on you know and that's and that's that's the only way you know that you'll be accepted and
1: that's that's when of workaholism that's Mm. one of the things it's very performance oriented you're validated by what you do because that's the only thing you understand and people like that as well you find tend to to have a lot of um can be prone or I would say susceptible to addictive behaviors as a culprit to Mm -hmm. cope with pressures to cope with the difficulties of of having to live a life that is just so you know perfection focused and to cope with the
0: internal dialogue as well so the last question i was going to ask is if you look back at your 14 year old self how would you have loved her how would you have embraced her how would you have made her know she is seen and heard how would I have loved my fourteen year old self as you mean you were her parent oh yes, that's a really
1: good question if i was if I were the parent to my fourteen year old self when and I found out okay that I had a daughter who was sexually active, yeah, firstly, I would have wanted to Knowing what I know now, a lot of the times when you find you know, if a young girl or young girl has particularly been active, I'd, I'd want to understand. I'd want to understand. I'd first of all really want to understand why she. No, let me go, retrace myself. First of all, I'd want her to know that I, I. it would be paramount that she understood that she was that I loved her
0: mm.
1: unconditionally. So, yes, as a parent, of course, I have a daughter and, and, and if I and I would be disappointed, but I would not my disappointment would not override my, my love for her.
0: Mm. So I would
1: be very, it would, you know, because I already, when the way that I, I was, for me, when my parents found out it was, it was, it was obviously, of course, a very shaming, I felt ashamed. So yeah. it's not something that I was walking around with sort of, with my head, you know, feeling proud of myself. I already felt shame. Mm. So that it would be important for me to, to let her know mm. that. Was loved I loved her unconditionally. And mm. then I'd want to understand, I'd want to understand why, w- what would have led her to, at that age, need that kind of validation. Yes. Um, and of course, for me, at the as the age of 14, I was desperate to be loved. And I could, I always, I've always said this, and I never understood why, I, I always, I would always say, I never understood why I felt like I, I felt I wanted, I wanted to be loved. And a lot of times, young girls will find love in relationships, yes. you know, with in, in boys. So for me, I that was the thing that made me feel I wasn't. It was like I was a, I was a sex crave child looking. It wasn't that. It was I was looking for love. And a lot of times, when you're looking for love and you're vulnerable, you're impressionable. People will will, will try and give you love on on and try and rope you into stuff. So it came with it, looking for love came with 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 conditions. Mm. And I, that was what I was dealing with. But no one, I was just branded. Oh, you're a bad girl. You yes. know, is, what is there such a thing? You're looking for something. I was looking for something that wasn't met. It wasn't met at home. You know, it was not meant by my parents. weren't meeting it, and that was why I was searching for. Anyway, before that, any age, anyway, I would be I, if if I had a daughter that was fourteen. But I think I would like to think that I would have been open enough to talk to, to for her to be able to. To talk to her about you know you know child abuse and child molestation for her to know that she could if there was anything like that or if it, you know she, if she would she, if she experienced it or there was something any even lurking that she would be able to come and talk to me. But even mm-hmm. if that had happened, I would hope that the conversation I would have started with her by you know trying to understand this need for love, we would be able to somehow we would come to we would un- we would more we would uncover stuff, and I would let her know that I loved her. I would let her know that. I was I wasn't going I'm not going anywhere. I wouldn't I I think for me, I guess the, the, the for my in my experience it felt like I was pushed away and I was mm. branded, you know, a bad child and that was something that I had to carry for for a long time in my life. The the blessing for me was one strangely enough, in that time, I that was the time more than ever in my life that somehow I knew I felt the presence of God more than anything else. I remember when the incident happened and my parents found out and I was kicked yeah. out and I had to go and stay in in in, in like the boys quarters mm. for like for like and I remember the presence of of God so strong in that room, believable. And I believe that he was just show, showing me then that you know I I still love you. I had siblings who blessed them were very, 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 very accepting. Mm. There was no, but that I think to some extent it, that was my lifesaver because they came and they really accepted me, and and it was I didn't I didn't feel shame. So yeah, that's what I would I would I would do if I had a, if I was a parent to
0: my fourteen year old self. Okay, so last but not the least, one more thing I wanted to point out was when we okay for first of all for a mom who thinks oh. I have too much going on. I can't unpack all this on my own. It's important to go seek counseling, okay? And there are myriad of counselors out there. I may have to put up resources as well. And then, um, for a teen who is losing weight, I think it may not be wise to congratulate her, even though you think she's doing something well for herself. It May also be important to sit down with her and find out what else is what else is or may be going on.
1: I completely agree. I think so. So for me, when I it's interesting that it is very important as parents that we have to be very aware mm. of science. Mm. And this is the reason why it's important for pa- for parents that we need to go and get resources, read, do research, read. If you if your child experiences drastic weight loss, it's very important to us, you know. Whereas I was getting congratulations. Yes. And well done, well done, well done. Again, if I was a parent to myself, I would be I would be very concerned mm. as to how. I wasn't. It wasn't like they were seeing me going to the gym or seeing me working out or doing or you know. And and on top of that, they were seeing me eating a lot because I was eating be this i never know where do you put the the common um the comment that people would always say is where do you put it all mm. where do you put it, put it all you eat a lot but you're mm. so slim and i'm like okay come on guys i was i was a size 16 and now i'm a size 8 <laughs> where do you think the weight has gone and you know even noticing things like how much time does your child spend in the bathroom you know because i mean I'm obviously constant constantly going to the bathroom to go in to go and throw up so the truth is there's, there's 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 these signs but do we do we look for them we we I guess sometimes we see what we want to see so I would say yes be there's the same thing if there's changing mood in your child again you want to understand you want especially as, as, a, in, as a teenager you want to try and understand that and if you know that you're not able to if you're, you might not be the person to who can have that conversation or who can then then find it's important to to seek count to seek counsel and i would say this i know because a lot of times we always want to i don't know i want i don't want to say this and be um i don't for people to take this the wrong way but i think sometimes we can always run to okay let's just pray let's just pray let's just pray Mm. and but it's important to pray but don't just think oh yeah we've prayed and then just just okay we've prayed god has done it and because god wants you to there's some work to be done there god wants you to uncover and sometimes, oh, some of that would also mean as a parent, you looking at yourself as well, mm. and not just you working on the on your child, but working on you. Okay, let's pray and then push everything under the carpet. Let's seek help and professional help. I beg you, don't just always think, okay, let's go to minister so and so and so, so, or mm-hmm. you know, and protect your child. And if it means invest, you know, if this is your child, this is your child's future, yeah. your child's life, your relationship it breaks my heart when parents will say things like, oh, they make it not a priority. And they, and they go around seeking for free help, free help, free help. If you can't find the free help, then you go and invest because that it's, it's worth your child's. If, if you don't deal with it now, it will deal with it in the future. Thank you so
0: much, Obi, this has been... Well, I always say one of my best sessions because I like to uncover, I like to unpack and I like to tell the stories that I want to tell and having conversations that matter because we tend to put them on the back burner. Thank you. What does life beyond the dress size mean to you? For me,
1: life beyond the dress size is me being... It's self-acceptance, me being okay Mm. with me. Me being able to look in the mirror. I mean, I'm 41 I'm years old now so my body has is not it's not my body's not the same it's yeah. not what it used to be at 26 you know 27 and I'm learning to just be okay with mm. you know body and being able to look in the mirror naked and appreciate my body for, you know for as it is as God has given me you know the fact that I'm I'm not well endowed in terms of I'm a, I'm a 36a bra size but I'm being okay with it and Loving myself, and it, it, even if it means that, yeah, sometimes I think well, I'd like to be fitter, I'd like to tone up, but I'm not going to not love myself until until that time. I accept my body, and I accept who I am, and I love who I am. Mm. I know that I'm beautiful. I, I say my my, aff- my affirmations, and I accept who God, you know, God has made me, and that is what then propels me to be able to take positive action if I feel okay you know I I want to be fitter and then I will for my health but yeah so that's what you know that's yeah that's definitely what that is
0: thank you thank you so much thank you thank you for having me Hey, thank you so much for listening. This is—I know I say this all the time, but this has been one of my best episodes, and I hope that you enjoyed it as well. Now, if you have more, if you have something you'd like to talk about, or you'd like to work with a therapist or a counselor, feel free to reach out to me. Feel free to reach out to Obi. You can reach out to Obi on Obi Bamidele. She's Obi Bamidele on Instagram. She's Obi Bamidele on her website as well. And I would make it a point of duty to link all the resources that we mentioned in this episode on the on the webpage for this podcast. So you can just go to beyondthedresssize.com or you can go to beyondthedresssize.com forward slash Abibamidele and you'll find all the resources that we mentioned in this episode. Now, the most important thing I want you to remember is that we may not be able to do all the work on our own. We may not be able to wade through that deep water on our own, even if you're a parent, even if you are not a parent yet, even if you're someone who has gone through that a traumatic period. It may not be a traumatic period, but it may be a difficult childhood. Whatever it is that you're experiencing, and you have no idea how to figure out your own journey to self-acceptance. Don't have to do this on your own. And you're not a failure. You're not. It's not about being tough enough. That's what I tell all my clients. It's not about, it has nothing to do with being tough enough. So feel free to reach out and ask for help. All right, so don't forget to share the episode, subscribe, leave a review. And of course, tune in for the next episode. Bye.